Hi, wherever you're listening to us, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. I'm Hari Arakli and this is today's Tech Briefing. In this program, and I have been focusing on uh, the field of robot learning, which is about how to collect and leverage data sets to train robots to do various things that we'd like to do. We'd like to have them do someday. That's after these headlines. Infosys' CEO Salil Parekh has been summoned today by India's finance minister to explain why the new income tax portal the IT service giant has developed for the country remains glitch-ridden. Infosys released the new portal on June 7th only to receive a large number of complaints about various problems with it. And this last Saturday, the site even became inaccessible. Infosys said on Twitter that the site was on emergency maintenance. The site was restored on Sunday night. Apple last week became the latest big tech company in the US to push plans to get employees back to the office to January, according to a report by Bloomberg. Apple CEO Tim Cook had previously told staff that they will have to come back to office for three days a week starting September. However, a surge in COVID-19 infections attributed to the Delta variant of the coronavirus has given companies pause. Other large tech companies including Amazon and Facebook have also delayed the return to offices plans until January. Tesla's CEO Elon Musk told reporters in the US at the company's AI day last week that the company is developing a humanoid robot. A prototype could be ready as early as next year. Developing such a robot to eliminate both repetitive and dangerous tasks currently done by humans in factories, for example, was the next logical step for Tesla, which is already developing self-driving cars, Musk said, according to The Verge. Tesla's driver assistance technology, called Autopilot, is under investigation in the US after multiple crashes involving the company's cars. Meanwhile, Tata Motors in India will release an electric version of its Tigor sedan with a range of as much as 300 km per charge, the Times of India reports. The car has a 26 kWh battery and will go from 0 to 60 km per hour speed in 5.7 seconds, according to the report. The Tata Nexon small SUV is already offered in an electric version and has a range of 312 km per charge. The company is said to have opened bookings for the Tigor for 21,000 rupees at select dealerships. China, which in recent times has cracked down on the country's biggest technology companies, has approved one of the world's toughest data privacy laws. China's top legislative body, the Standing Committee of the National People's Congress, passed the Personal Information Protection Law at a meeting in Beijing on Friday, Wall Street Journal reports citing China's state-run Xinhua news agency. The law, expected to take effect on November 1st, closely resembles the world's most robust framework for online privacy protections, Europe's General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, according to the journal. It contains provisions that require any organization or individual handling Chinese citizens' personal data to minimize data collection and to obtain prior consent. India is yet to pass its own privacy law. Teaching a robot to mimic humans can be a pretty frustrating endeavor, researchers know. And one of the obstacles is the absence of the kind of large data sets that are available in other areas of AI, such as in image recognition. 
Earlier this month, a team of researchers at Stanford University and University of Texas at Austin released RoboMimic, which they say is a framework for robot learning from demonstration. It offers a broad set of demonstration datasets collected on robot manipulation and learning algorithms to learn from these datasets according to their web page on RoboMimic. Over the weekend, I spoke to Ajay Mandlekar, one of the core developers of RoboMimic, who explained its basics and gave me an overview of some of the important advances and challenges at the intersection of AI and robotics. Here's more from our conversation. Uh, Ajay, uh, fantastic to have you with us uh, on this podcast today. Uh, welcome and uh, thank you for making time for it. And for starters, uh, tell us a bit about your work. Of course, uh, we're going to talk about uh, robotics and AI and related areas, but uh, for folks who are not familiar with your work, and I, of course, I put myself in that category as well. Tell us about your work a little bit, and I'll have some follow-on questions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks a lot uh, for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, so for those that don't know, uh, I'm a PhD student at Stanford, and I have been focusing on uh, the field of robot learning, which is about how to collect and leverage data sets to train robots to do various things that we'd like to do. We'd like to have them do someday. So you could think of applications as ranging from uh, robot arms in manufacturing domains, all the way to maybe having a, your own robot arm in the kitchen, helping you cook. And the approach that I've been focusing on uh, in my work is to find ways, uh, mechanisms, if you will, to allow humans to enable supervision. Uh, that, that means that basically uh, you can have humans collect data that the robot can then learn from and train on to be able to carry out different tasks autonomously. And the analog you can think of is in other domains like computer vision or natural language processing, large-scale data sets have really enabled fantastic progress. So data sets like ImageNet, for example, where uh, you know, it's a large repository of tons of different images and images that have been annotated. You know, this image contains a cat. This image contains a dog. These sets of annotations that have proved incredibly useful for driving advances in those fields. Uh, the trouble with robotics is that we don't have such large-scale data sets and useful annotations out there. A lot of times when we train our robots using data, robots have to be responsible for exploring the world and collecting the data themselves. So a large part of the questions that I sought out to answer is, can we start collecting useful data for robots? And so uh, part of my work has been focused on uh, enabling this through the use of developing systems, uh, systems that enable humans to remotely control and teleoperate robots and guide them through tasks, regardless of where they are in the world, so that we can really scale this up. So uh, we've developed the system called RoboTurk that enables people, regardless of where they are, with only a smartphone and a web browser, to remotely teleoperate robot arms in full six degrees of freedom using their smartphone and guide them through tasks to provide demonstration data that the robots can then learn from later. Hmm. 
I, I want to ask you about uh, RoboMimic and just to kind of uh, give us a little bit of context and background for that. Uh, I was thinking that, you know, from an industrial perspective, of course, there are big advances from welding to drones, uh, but give us a sense of uh, the state of robotics, if you will, today from the point of view of robots mimicking humans. Uh, what are some of the things that today's most advanced robots can already do, uh, already do uh, in terms of what we think of as uh, human, uh, you know, tasks or activities? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that a lot of times today in the field, when robots are actually deployed in real places, what happens is robots have to be programmed. And the way they're programmed is often by setting different types of key points or motions where the, uh, the human actually just guides the robot through different motions manually by holding the arm. And this allows you to program the robot to com uh, complete repetitive motions. But a big part of what researchers are working on uh, and the part where we really do need to scale up is having the robot start to tackle situations that aren't just repetitive and executing the same motion over and over again. Parts where robots can actually start having some intelligence where they can uh, see the world through a camera, for example, and use it in their decision-making to do different things like picking up items, placing different items, Insert, maybe insertion tasks where you need to pick up uh, pick up an item and insert it into something else. Uh, assembly, if you want your robot to actually, for example, maybe assemble a tape. These types of different applications are more challenging because they require the robot to do not so repetitive motions. There needs to be some reasoning involved in how to interact with the world, how to grab different objects in different locations of the sea. And construct them into something useful, similar to human manipulation capabilities, where we already know after we look at a scene from our vision, right, from our eyes, uh, what types of things can be interacted with and how to actually carry out those motions to achieve high-level goals that we might have in mind. Uh, does that make sense? Hmm, yeah, surely. Uh, so now tell us about uh, uh, RoboMimic. Uh, you've released this framework recently, if I understand it correctly. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah, absolutely. So a little bit of backstory here. I mentioned earlier that we had developed the system and means to collect uh, large-scale data sets, but the connection and inspiration for RoboMimic was that we found that it can be challenging to get started in learning from such data sets and to work towards this dream where more data sets from humans are prevalent and can accelerate research in the field. This is what went into developing RoboMimic. What we wanted to do is we wanted to both enable uh, conducting large-scale studies in the field that have really been missing on how to learn from humans. And in giving people the tools, giving researchers and practitioners the tools to start uh, reproducing such studies and carrying out investigations on their own on how to learn from human data. So that's what the RoboMimic framework really lets people do. It lets it offers people a standardized collection of human data sets that can be used for their own training purposes, right? People can download the data, they can start looking through the data, and it offers standardized high quality algorithm implementations that allow people to get started right away with training useful, uh, in extracting useful information from the data. So training what are known as policies, which are basically rules on how to act 
so that you can actually deploy a simulated robot arm trained on the data set uh, that makes decisions on its own. And you can evaluate its performance and you can compare it with standardized numbers that already exist. And it's really our hope that people will be able to pick this up really easily and start making progress and driving progress in the field. Hmm. Uh, this question might be a little bit premature, but uh, uh, give us a sense of uh, uh, what are some of the real world applications that experts like you are contemplating, you know, if RoboMimic is able to advance the capabilities of robots eventually. Yeah, absolutely. So the sort of, you know, RoboMimic, I would say is a good starting point because it allows people to study this problem of how to extract useful information from human demonstrations so that robots can achieve tasks that humans demonstrated on their own. Right now, there's still a gap. This, this gap exists because as humans, if you give a human, you know, a smartphone or whatever teleoperation control interface, and you tell them to control a robot arm, there's a wide range of tasks that humans can complete by controlling these robot arms. But just because a human can collect data on it doesn't necessarily mean that we have the means to uh, distill that same knowledge into the robot arm. We can distill some of that knowledge and robots can start achieving partial proficiency on tasks that we care about. Tasks like, you know, I used assembly as an earlier example, but robots are still not as good at accomplishing these tasks as humans. So to make up for that gap, I would say driving research and algorithm development is one of the high level uh, goals of the, you know, releasing these data sets, releasing this framework. Uh, in terms of actual applications that we foresee down the road, we really do think that robots are going to play a larger role in, first of all, in warehousing and manufacturing and these types of uh, these types of applications where automation is very much desired, but also I would say that we might even be moving towards more of a paradigm where robots become sort of uh, similar to maybe you can think of a, a calculator. Like we're not, calculators don't run themselves, right? We use them as a tool. Humans use them as a tool to uh, do more than what they could have done before, right? They don't need to do carry out costly, you know, multiplication on their own. They use it as a tool to enable them to do more, right? We can think of robots as, you know, doing the same thing. I don't think in a lot of applications, robots are just going to run on their own and be completely autonomous. I think what we're going to do is we're going to use them to uh, do some of the repetitive things that, you know, humans find taxing, but enable humans to start focusing on, uh, on a larger, wider array of stuff and enabled each person to actually do more useful work by using robot arms and robots in general as a tool, similar to how he, us today use things like calculators. Hmm. Uh, give us an example to illustrate this point. I mean, how can you train a robot to do something that uh, enhances uh, a human capability in, in a particular field? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, even returning to the sort of manufacturing example, right? Um, right now, there's been a lot of focus on just repetitive tasks that require exactly the same motion, right? But you, what you could imagine is a paradigm where uh, humans and robots entered in, enter into what's known as shared autonomy, 
where basically you can have a human and a robot working together to solve a task, right? The robot, for example, could be something that uh, if you've got, let's say an assembly line, right? The robot could be in charge of maybe one tiny little portion of it, but maybe the, this portion is something that uh, would require uh, a human to do 100% of the work before, right? The human would have to be in charge and always there um, and always working, right? But maybe we can move towards paradigms where now instead of a human always having to do 100% of the work, you deploy a robot arm there and a robot arm starts doing some of the work, but then it can maybe start asking for help and asking for a human to hop in on demand uh, when necessary. So you can think of maybe uh, a robot arm that's like, let's say packaging a box, right? And packaging items into a box. And maybe what we've got is we've got uh, five such robot arms there that are doing this task, right? Um, and before what you would have to have is you'd have to have five humans and each human would have to be packing, you know, these items into the box um, independently. But in this new paradigm, maybe what we could do is we could have one human there that's available on call to assist these robots whenever they need help. And in this way, the amount of work that the human is able to do is about the same work that used to take five humans to be able to do. But now the human is sort of acting more as a supervisor for the five robot arms that are also doing the work and sharing the work with the human. In that way, you can imagine that this multiplies the amount of work that you know we're able to carry out in you know domains and applications requiring interaction with the world. Hmm. Uh, if, if you step back uh, and look at your field uh, today, what are some of the most important advances in robotics and uh, related technologies, both from a kind of hardware, computing, semiconductor, all these kind of material sciences, all of these perspectives, and also from the point of view of the software and programming and the AI point of view? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I think there's a number of important advancements that are being, you know, that are happening in the field of robotics right now and related fields. Um, I think that one of them is actually the development of robotic hardware that's able to better uh, interact with the world and do different things. People are working on all sorts of different types of sensors um, and even different types of uh, mechanisms like hands, for example, that allow could allow robots to do different things besides, um, because right now, uh, if you look at standard robotic arms that are being deployed, uh, they are vastly different from the kind of morphologies that humans have, right? Like um, they have what, what are known as parallel jaw grippers, where the only thing you can do is it basically has two fingers and the two fingers can slide to close or they can open, right? Uh, compared to humans, humans have these hands that, you know, we can do so much more than just uh, closing two fingers, right? We have an intrinsic ability to manipulate. Uh, on that related note, humans also have the ability to touch and feel, right? And a lot of the robots today, they really don't have that capacity. So developing better hardware that allows for such sensing capabilities is really important so that robots can start making use of this information. Um, on the other hand, I would like to point out um, advancements being driven in making better use of existing hardware 
So there's efforts from companies like NVIDIA, for example, that are really trying to scale up uh, robotic simulation because a lot of the methods that we have today for doing uh, robot learning, for, for carrying out uh, different algorithms in this field require a ton of data and scaling up compute, scaling up the amount of uh, data that we can collect through uh, developing better simulators, more physically uh, realistic simulators, and being able to run and make use of the hard, existing hardware capabilities today is going to be make a huge difference, basically, in the field. Um, as far as algorithmic advances go, I think there's a lot happening in various different aspects of robotics that's also very exciting. Um, aspects from you know, perception and 3D vision, things that allow the robot to make better use of the existing sensing capabilities to interpret it. And so that a robot can understand more about the world around it. Similar to a human, you can drop a human in a new scene and the human can know, you know, this is a cup and a mug and a table and all these different things. And the human already knows that because this is a cup, I know how I can start interacting with it. I know it has a handle. I know I can use it to pour and drink. Um, these types of things are not intuitive for robots yet. And closing that cap, I think, is also another very interesting line of research that's happening. Hmm. Yeah, just to uh, take that point forward about you know things not being intuitive to robots. Uh, again, if you step back and look at robotics, what are some of the some of the biggest challenges in robotics today? Yeah, that's also a great question. Um, I think there's a number of challenges. Uh, let me try and focus on a couple. Um, one of the biggest challenges in robotics, I would say right now, is uh, it's not standardized. Um, so a lot of progress started happening in sister fields like computer vision or natural language processing. Once there, was, once there were large-scale data sets, large-scale evaluations too, or basically standardized evaluations that could be used to measure progress, sort of like a litmus test that we know that when you reach this level of performance on this evaluation or benchmark, um, that there's really been a good advancement in the field. But if you look at what's happening today, right now, the, the main issue is that we really don't have that for robotics. We don't have standardized data sets. We don't have standardized evaluations. What happens in what we see today is that there's just a diverse array of different types of robots, different types of situations you want to put them in. And when you see research or even just industrial applications, um, every person has their own setup, right? They have their own robotic arm that's deployed in a different location or in a different lab setting. And the tasks are all different too. It makes comparing um, what's happening and how well something works. If someone says, hey, I developed a new method and I think it works really, really well. We don't have a great way to say, well, this method is definitely better than everything that's come before it because we don't have these types of standardized benchmarks and evaluations. I think this is what makes robot robotics such a challenging endeavor, or at least this is one of the key aspects that's made it very hard to do things like measure progress in the field. And it's sort of coupled to this notion that robotics is at its heart about dynamical systems, it's about interaction. It's not static, right? This is also what makes doing things like collecting large data sets very difficult. It's that 
it really does require collecting things like trajectories and interactions with the world. It's not just about collecting static images or text or things like this. Um, and I think, you know, making progress on that front so that we can start having very useful comparisons and, and understanding, you know, so that the field as a whole can say, hey, this is actually progress. We know that, you know, an algorithm works better is going to be really important going forward. Hmm. To bring it back and tie it to your work, uh, now that you have a framework in the form of uh, RoboMimic, uh, what are the next important steps for you that you're going to be focusing on? That's a great question. Um, so in terms of the RoboMimic framework, uh, it's not a one and done. So we're planning to support it uh, long term. And what this means is it means a variety of things. It means that we can start making further advancements in things like the type of data that we collect and release to people. It means that we can start making advancements in the types of algorithms that are developed because the study that we released along with RoboMimic showed that there's actually a lot of failings in today's algorithms. You hear a lot of successes um, oftentimes from people who deploy these types of data-driven learning algorithms to tasks like uh, grasping, for example. But uh, what we found is uh, these similar sorts of algorithms can actually fail when applied to large-scale human data. And closing this gap between data that's been collected by robots and data that's been collected by humans is important because we want to push robots' capabilities. So we need to give them data that comes from humans and be able to learn and use it effectively. So closing that gap is another ripe future direction. Um, and we're also just really excited to see what other people do with the framework and data sets that we've released. Um, again, part of the high level goal is to sort of drive progress in the field by enabling people to do things that would have been really hard for them to do on their own before. Excellent. Uh, truly interesting conversation, Azek. Uh, thank you again for making time for this. And uh, I hope to keep the conversation going. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. That was Ajay Mandlekar. That's it for this briefing. You can find all our podcasts on ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast apps. I'm Hari Arakali. Thank you for listening.